Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential on a Friday morning at earsports.com. Welcome in. Chris Anderson. Um, coffee still warm and news hot off the presses about not people and teams and conferences not playing football, but players arriving to play football. We'll cover some of that. A new addition to the roster. Maybe a new opponent on the schedule. Perhaps we'll find out soon, but in fewer words, it's just kind of another day in this very bizarre offseason. Yeah, I, I keep wondering about these podcasts that we're doing. If, if we need to, um, like this one and the most recent one we've done and, and a couple others, we, we've changed our, our recording schedule up a bit for this very reason. Uh, it used to be we would record and then not post it till the next day or a couple, couple days later. Now we're recording and then almost immediately putting it up because everything's changing so much so quickly that what we talk about on the podcast, I don't want to say gets stale, but might be wrong by the time it gets up because things just keep keep on moving. I got tired of like writing paragraphs, apologizing to people before <laughs> the podcast started. Like the podcast is embedded at the top of it and there's a paragraph saying, hey, my bad, this won't happen again. It kept happening again. So I guess we just put a little bit more work in on a Friday. No big deal. Already at work today personnel department at West Virginia seemingly adding a player I wouldn't say out of thin air he's been in the portal for a while but it's five days on in a preseason camp but it does look like a kind of a hybrid offensive player not really like anybody they have Zach Daw- excuse me Zach Dobson from Middle Tennessee State I guess that's the player to be named later in the Martel Petaway trade but a guy who averaged about a first down every time he touched the ball a touchdown every eight touches can do a couple of different things. And again, maybe he's not a home run hitter. Maybe he's not a guy who's going to get you a thousand yards and score 10 touchdowns, but this does something that's a little bit different and immediately eligible two years left to play two seasons. At this stage of the off season, that's a pretty good acquisition. No. Yeah, it's not bad. I think, um, you know, is it, is it something that we're going to spend, five stories on and, and and days and days and days talking about no not really but i think it's a it's a nice addition because it's an area that of all the places on the offensive side of the ball maybe that one was a little bit thin uh i, I was told that at slot really the guys that been getting the reps were winston wright um and true freshman reese smith with walk on your boy grayson grayson malashevich um mm-hmm. obviously uh, there, there are a lot of other wide receivers on the team, but if we're talking pure, true slots, that's that's not overly deep. I mean, if you if if you've got a walk on at third third string and a true freshman second string, um, I think did you tell me that Wakefield might be playing? Keon Wakefield, the transfer from Louisville, might be playing slot as well. That's what he played at at Louisville. Um, but again, a veteran, they had to have him play the inside position with mm-hmm. Esdale and Simmons. I'm sure he could do that. Um, then again, Jared Parker, small outside receivers. Yeah. Uh, cross so it I, off. That's a guy who knows what he's doing. Right. Uh, so I think this is, it's another weapon for an offense that, let's be blunt here, struggled in year one of Neil Brown. It struggled a lot. Now, that wasn't the receiver's fault. Um, there was some quarterback play issues, some blocking issues, a lot of running issues. But if you can add a piece that can 
make plays in a lot of different ways like this this young man can uh, like you said he, he can run the ball he can catch the ball he did a little bit of everything there at middle tennessee state i think you have to have to take that flyer yeah he's another mechanism in the offense at the very least this is all very early i've only watched a little bit of him um and just kind of scrambling against stuff but he's kind of like the middle north player where slot guy is going to go up the field or a slot guy is going to catch a screen and do something with it. He's going to sweep back into the backfield and take handoffs. He's going to motion in and stand back there. That's a cool way to get to like two back sets and or get out of two back sets even if you can do something like that. He's 5'8", 165. Uh, I don't think you'll see him going up the rail. I don't think you'll see him bashing it between the guards or tackles. But can he catch a jet sweep? Yeah. Could he catch a screen and dance around and you know duck under and run through some traffic? Sure. And how many times did they throw screen passes last year and it didn't work? Um, maybe personnel's uh, part of it. Like we saw some offensive linemen who were just flailing out in the open field. It's really hard to block in those plays, especially if you're not good at it. Um, but sometimes you've got to get help from the guy with the ball, and maybe he's better at that. So who knows? It'd be great to have him in camp and do some stuff. Also, a caveat here, <laughs> everything with a transfer right now is just kind of question mark. Um, still nothing official on announcements of anybody. Uh Anybody, except that, like, they mentioned Bryce Brand, they mentioned Tyler Sumter, they mentioned Scotty Young, but, like, Hubbard, for example, they haven't mentioned. We've seen Wakefield. He was in here in the spring. Uh, the Bola Patelli saga, we also know what would happen there. So, haven't seen a confirmation, have had it confirmed from a source, but haven't seen anything official from him. And I bring that up because it's a pretty interesting story. He's kind of like a, um, he labels himself a CEO, but he just started a clothing company. Let's call him an entrepreneur, a mogul. How does that sound? And you figure a guy like that, he'd be all over the, the graphic and the announcement and have a slick video. His highlight videos are, are pretty sharp. So I'm assuming he's got a creative flair, or has some creative people. And didn't see a highlight video yet. Maybe it just happened. He's changed his social media. But perhaps we'll know more soon. But I'm, I'm kind of always hesitant to do stuff like that unless someone says, yep, 100%. Here are his details. He's a two-for-two two player. He'll be eligible. He'll count toward 2021. We don't have that yet. That's what we think is probably true. That's probably fair, right? He's going to be a 21 guy. He's a post-grad with two years, so he'll have two seasons to play two years. We can make reasonable assumptions there, but we don't know for sure, but that sounds about right, right? Yeah, I think that's that's where we're sitting now. Like you said, we when it comes to these transfers, you never really know. Um, they, Neil Brown getting, quote, creative with everything. Uh, with transfers and late additions and everything else. And um, when they started announcing that the Big 12 was going to play and some of these other leagues were canceling, you had to be prepared for uh, more. I mean, I know this isn't the case with uh, with Dobson, but there's going to be more guys coming on the market. There's going to be more guys that they're going to evaluate for a ridiculously late add to this football team. So um, we're, we're all going to have writers, reporters – Recruiting guys, fans, everyone's going to have to be prepared for um, some kind of craziness with these late additions. Let's stop there. Um, there are 26 FBS Power 5 programs, I should say. And then Mountain West, I'm trying to think of who else is canceled. Uh, the MAC. So, I mean, about half of the FBS is out. Um, it, you're going to have a million players in the transfer portal. They're not all going to want to walk on. They're going to be too good to be walk-ons. They're not going to want to do that. But maybe then again, the leverage is such that if you want to play this year, hey, you got to walk on maybe for a year. Do you sense scholarship relief coming? I think in the in the spring season, you got to do it if you're going to play spring football because how many recruits do you welcome on campus in January? 
and how many of your seniors are not going to leave because they're not going to use their 2020 eligibility. So I think you have to have some sort of swollen eligibility or cap, I guess, 85 to, I don't know, 100. Maybe that's too much. Um, but do you see immediate relief just to accommodate those players? Or is that unfair because now you're giving the teams that are in an advantage, even though they might not even play this year still? I think you have to. I mean, you can't you can't screw the teams that are trying to play just in case. It might maybe give them an advantage. I think you have to give everyone some relief on this scholarship situation uh, because, and it's not just for the schools. Like, again, it, oh, poor, poor schools, poor $100 million, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar revenue stream. Oh, we feel so sorry for them. No, 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 no. Even the kids, like you said, the, these kids, they need the scholarship relief because. If you don't do that, you're going to have kids go from scholarship to walk-on. And a lot of these kids can't afford to do that. They can't do that. You, that's not going to be an option for them, so it's going to severely limit their um, opportunities, where they might go. So I think even in the, forgetting the school aspect part of it and trying to help out the teams, the NCAA needs to do this for the kids. They need to get scholarship relief so that these kids can – transfer and play, finish out their careers and, and move forward. I am told that is backburnered, which is uh-huh. amazing to me. <laughs> like, how is that again? Not the first thing I don't want to do this again. I don't want to talk about how the smartest people are the dumbest or whatever. I think that's been pretty much universally agreed upon, but there's so many things that you kind of had to understand. We're going to be front burner issues. By the way, we haven't talked about this Monday. Brown had that zoom and I don't think anybody asked him the question. And at the very end, of the 30, what, 35 minutes? I was off at this time because that's another tangent I get on to. <laughs> I was saying my goodbyes to you thinking that my job was finished. <laughs> but I had to hop off and go to a all-hands meeting online. It just turns out that our leader is stepping aside after 10 years. Bad news, but not nearly as bad as it might have been given the media environment these days. But I'm in the all-hands meeting telling you the news, and then I watched the video afterward, and Brown – I mean, steered off the road to hit the mailbox, it seemed like, on purpose, and go over the fact that these kids have no idea what happens if they don't play in the fall. And he seemed worn out about it to the point of saying, like, I'm tired of I don't know. I don't know isn't good enough. I don't know doesn't work for them. They're sick. I don't know. Um, That seemed to me like a guy who was asked a lot of questions to people who should know. Let's be honest. I mean, he doesn't have to go far to get an answer. And there are no answers. And I think that he is just worn out by that static condition. Wouldn't you be, though? I mean, do you see how frustrated we get dealing with the NCAA and the decision makers? Have you heard the podcast? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we're frustrated, and we don't even have to answer to these these kids, these young men. We don't even have to answer to them, and we're frustrated by it. So uh, I could see why he's he's fed up with it. I would be, too. I I think he might have shown a little— I think you're right in that no one— no one pushed him towards that metaphorical mailbox that you're referring to. He mm-hmm. absolutely steered right into it. But I still think he showed at least some restraint, more restraint than maybe I would have or maybe a lot of other people would have. He had the pen. He was gesturing the hands. like He's typically pretty reserved. Now, he was just coming off the practice field. Perhaps he had the juices flowing. Maybe I'm making a mountain out of molehill here. But I just watched it going. Yes, yes, let it flow. <laughs> like, yeah. just, just unload on these people. Let them know, because that's the only way you're going to get their attention. So that's 
possibly happening sometime soon. Maybe not. They have other major ones. They've made some decisions with, you know, how they're going to handle some things. But, man, the, the bigger issues that are on the minds of the players, they just kind of haven't figured out yet, too. Um, anything else before we wrap up the, the Brown on Monday thing? We didn't talk about that because Wednesday was so busy. But uh, any of his news or news from camp in general so far? that maybe we've lost it, or maybe we should spend more time on. I have one or two things. What do you think? Um, no, I think, cause I think the one, the very first thing that caught my mind and it, maybe it was just because he mentioned it early in the podcast or early in the Q and a part, uh, was the Bryce brand, uh, him, him singling out Bryce brand, I thought was interesting, but, um, I cover, I think I covered that in the last podcast. So that was just a couple of days ago. I don't, I don't need to rehash that, but it, it's, it's, when a coach is singling out players without being prompted, take note. That, that, that's always yeah. something to take note of. What do you got? Uh, some What caught your eye? Well, a lot has catched my eye because the frustration for me this year, and I completely understand I'm not complaining, so don't, don't roll your eyes here and don't press the red X, but it's very hard to cover the team right now. It's hard to cover every team that's playing. I get that, but they're not – going to have media there i get that so they're putting out the press releases which take them or leave them that's what you're going to have you're not going to get a lot of that it's going to be extremely um programmed and controlled but i do think that when you see players mentioned in there that's good the only players i've seen mentioned are winston wright um mesador martin leg staley I don't know if that really revs up your engines there, but that's kind of a small sample. He talked about the quarterbacks one day. You're always going to talk about the quarterbacks, but um, it's just so when you're using your eyes to read a press release versus using your eyes to scan the field because you're on the sideline, it's so much different. And it's strange to me because I'd like to know, for example, you know, who's here, who's not here. We haven't gotten that yet. That's a fairly typical day one question. Um, and if not, I can look and I can see. I can tell who's in green and red jerseys. And that's all part of covering camp. Coaches – hate that stuff. I don't think that's too strong of a word. <laughs> I think it's pretty accurate. Um, and I imagine that they're relishing this right now, but it's hard to figure out what's going on. And that's probably part of the point of, you know, not not just the player safety and all that stuff, and media safety too, I'm sure, protocols, procedures, but like they're doing a lot of stuff in the dark right now. That's great for them. I'm sure there's advantages. I'm definitely going to ask Brown about that. But also, um, it's, it's strange to me just because it, it doesn't feel like anything. And I find myself spending way too much time looking at the photo galleries and the eight-minute videos they gave me to try to suss out whatever details I can. Chris, I think I figured a few things out, though. What's that? Well, one, what position is brand? Uh, leaning towards bandit, I guess. He's on the roster now as a defensive lineman, but mm-hmm. he's standing behind Darius Sills in a couple of photos during drills, which would make him a bandit or Mike. So that's interesting. Um you can kind of figure out who's practicing with who. Now, does that mean that these people are friends or the roommates that they hang out together? That's kind of the way they structure the practice. But, like, there has to be some split among quality. Like, you don't want your first and second team guy together too much because they might both get sick. You don't want that. The quarterbacks, they're not going to practice together. But, like, Green and Kendall are practicing together. Are we working on the number two battle? Are we thinking like that far ahead? Are we thinking of something like that? I'm not going there yet, but like I think that's an interesting thing. And then you can look at the offensive line, just the video on the offensive line. Chase Barrett is at practice, good sign, and snapping the ball. That means he's a center. He's not a guard. Now, granted, Bryson Mays may also be snapping the ball in the other practice. That doesn't mean that Barrett is ahead because he's the one. But if Barrett's the center and 
James Gemitter is left of him in half-line drills, that kind of means that he's the left guard, right? I think so. And then if you, Junior oh, I Uzebu like your snooping here. This is good. Is, if Junior Uzebu is left of Gemitter, that don't, not only means he's the left tackle, that means he's probably the number one left tackle because Gemitter is arguably your best offensive lineman. And then if John Hughes is to the right of Barrett in another half-line drill, is John Hughes your right guard? The wheels are turning. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that's how they're going to line up five, but like we know Gamitter is, again, maybe their best offensive lineman. If he's left to center and your center snapping, hey, Barron's healthy and you got your left guard. If your best left guard has number 71, Uzebu, next to him, that's your left tackle. And then Hughes is kind of a swing guy, right side, right tackle, right guard. I think a lot of people thought maybe he'd be the right tackle, but if he's next to Barron, he's the right guard. That's an interesting thing to me. So I'm getting what I can out of this stuff, too. It's one thing to look at eyeballs and see that Alex Sinkfield is swole and that we can talk about Tavis Levi picture and see that he looks really good. That's not really new to either one of those guys. Um, Lee's been a big kid forever. Sinkfield's won an Iron Mountaineer award. I bought all of my Sinkfield stock a couple of years ago. I'm not unloading it. But, like, pictures are one thing. The eyeball test is one thing. And that's kind of how we were limited the first day to what we could see in pictures. They put an eight-minute video out. And I poured over it and got what I could out of it and found it. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the last time we get to do this because I'm making way too much of a deal out of it. But just progress early on. I wonder if the offensive line has some shape. And I wonder if, like, Brand is a guy who maybe is not a Mike Bandit, but is perhaps a Bandit defensive end. Just little takeaways I have. Do you think they uh, have gotten better at – do you think they have, like, an editor that checks every photo – to make sure before it goes up in the public because of people like you? To make sure it doesn't divulge any information? Uh, that, that happened in 2009 when they put the spider pad photos out, and that became a big deal. So <laughs> I would hope that, that practice is still in place. So that was that was probably something I had my fingerprints on back then. Nowadays, I don't know, but I wonder, like, if I, mean, I don't know how much of a detail that is that I'm giving you, but, like, that stuff you can discern from the footage. Now, if all of a sudden we see that David Vincent O'Coley is wearing a number in the 80s and is jumping over cornerbacks and, and about that, then you might see the clamps on the video a little bit. Yeah, I was I was thinking back to, was it last last summer when they just posted a batch of photos from practice and, and just kind of mixed in there was what seemed like a very just normal picture of a, a lineman blocking a defensive lineman and it just so happened to be Josh Sills, and very visible right there in the middle of it was a huge arm sling, shoulder yeah. attachment that you know is only worn for certain types of injuries. And uh, you know, it, it was probably should have been the first sign to keep an eye on Josh Sills that year when when he had that on there. Yeah, players in red, players in green. Um, I, I would imagine right now that the less of that that gets out, the better. But you can't notice that. Uh, Devil Washington is in green when he's in a photo or in a video. You can't notice that Tariq Stewart is in red when he's putting the photos on Insta on Twitter of him in a red jersey. So some of that stuff you can't really control, and it maybe isn't a big deal. But I do wonder um, because they have a they have a, a shot to have such privacy, such confidentiality. I wonder how generic these things become sometimes soon. And I bring it up because back in let's see, that would have been when did they play Georgia? It would have been Georgia Southern, I guess. 
Yeah. It's Howard's first year as a starter. Georgia Southern? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. And they beat him really bad, right? Yeah, 44 nothing. Okay, I remember so that back one. Back then, it was, it was 2016, it was, it was, or was it 15? It was 15, because I wasn't there for that game. 2015. Um, first game of the season, and they played Georgia Southern. But Georgia Southern was ready, and they got clobbered, but they were ready for some stuff that I think West Virginia tried to keep under wraps. Remember, they ran some zone read, and Howard was going to be a running quarterback, extremely different from what they'd had the past few years with Clint Trickett, um, Millard, Childress, that that hodgepodge of quarterbacks. Um, they hadn't done a lot of quarterback run stuff. They did a little bit when Howard came in late in the year before, but he was just kind of working a vanilla offense and doing some stuff that was easy and continuity was attainable at that point late in the season. But I can remember a story that I want to say SB Nation wrote, and West Virginia was furious about it. Um, it came out after the game, but an SB Nation reporter had been embedded with Georgia Southern for that game, the preparation for that game. So part of their camp the week or two before the game. And the coaches at Georgia Southern had done recon, and they had found just simple practice video and pictures. And the one thing that they highlighted – was the picture of Skylar Howard where he's got the ball in his hands taking the snap and he's shifting his eyes to the left because he's spying the defensive end because he's going to run zone read. And West Virginia had not done that in front of the reporters or in front of videos at all, but they had let pictures go out on the website. And all of a sudden, Georgia Southern said, oh boy, we got to get ready for zone read. We got to school our defensive ends. We got to get our front prepared in a certain way. And Dana and Alex Hammond, their ops guy, they were not happy about that being available to an enemy with an off-season worth of preparations. Um, scrambled a little bit. Didn't matter. But, like, it's very different if you did against Georgia Southern and if you did against Alabama. Um, so I think that that's a reason that people are legitimately concerned, is that if you give something, people might take a whole lot out of it. Um, have I divulged anything that's critical to the success of the team? No. But I do wonder if there's just, like, a there's a way to get information just from pictures and photos and videos and not necessarily kind of these spoon-fed press releases about how how awesome everything is during the first three or four days of practice. <laughs> but I'm not being yeah. mean. I'm just saying, like, I understand. I understand that's PR coming from the from the university. That's fine. Like, and they're that's a duty to them. Like, they're they're bringing us behind closed doors. That's fine. I'm not complaining. I promise. Yeah. No. I. I what's the best way to put that? I'm trying to think because you know we're grateful for something. Because it is t- it is understandable why we can't be there as outside media, um, but you kind of just hope it doesn't keep trending this direction of more in-house media, more and more and more and more, and and uh, there might obviously be a slant that goes with it uh, when you got in-house media only. So it might not get the questions answered that you want answered, and and or even get to ask. And hey, that's why we're scouring over pictures, I guess. Trying to yeah. pick a piece together. Hey, I, I'll tell you what, though. You notice something that, that really intrigues me now. The, the whole Hughes playing right guard. And I, I guess you did. Did you figure out who was lining up to the right of Hughes? Uh, the video did not do me any favors there. Uh, okay. Because that, that I'm with you. I think we all kind of assumed that Hughes would be at right tackle. And one of those handful of guys that had played on the interior last year would be a guard. So seeing him at right guard makes me wonder... Who's stepping up to play that right tackle spot this year? Well, Stewart was in red that day, so probably wouldn't have been him. Now, what are they doing? They're they're ducking under that trampoline drill. Um, they're doing low crowd stuff, and uh, it's not it's not football. 
Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. And again, he could be a right tackle too. But that right guard thing is interesting because he can play right guard. It just makes me wonder. And like the other thing is too, I'm pretty sure Mike Brown, I had to go back. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Mike Brown was in that practice group too. And that's a guy who started left guard, um, got hurt, committer started, went to the right side when Brown came back. So um, I wonder what they think about Mike Brown. I wonder what they think about John Hughes. And that makes me think that maybe there is something with right tackle. Point being, now we got something to pay attention to. Now we have like real rub your hands football, which is pretty cool. Well, maybe we should delay this podcast until after they send the next batch of photos so we can get one more day of snooping in before we, before they really start editing things down. No, it'll never happen again. I've been, uh, I would say worried and warning is maybe even too ominous, but I've been, I've been aware that they, they were building something to be like an in-house media thing, which is good. Who better to control your message than yourself? And if you're so into recruiting and branding and marketing like they are, yeah, you want to have your people producing stuff and not sending kids links to your stories or my stories or Metro news story. I guess they don't cover football anymore. Dominion post stories, stuff like that. Right. Um, you got to produce your own stuff because you control the message. I think they can do that. They just certainly didn't plan the pandemic. I don't think they did at least. So it just happens to be right place, right time. But if you can produce words and videos and photos, you really control things and it's coming in handy now. So inadvertently they prepared for this. And um, as a service to us, Hey, it's good um, for fans. I'm sure it's like a uh, mountaineer methadone is kind of getting through this part of the off season and making sure that um, their satisfaction is guaranteed until they actually get football. Um, which transitions us to the season, Chris, and the first game, maybe. Uh, definitely scheduled right now as we talk for September 12th against Eastern Kentucky. I have no idea they're going to play this game. I don't know if the team will. I don't know if the conference that Eastern Kentucky is in will. I'm not sure if West Virginia wants that team coming to town, given what may happen soon. This is not a situation that you want to be dealing with right now. It may not be a big deal, but it could be a lot calmer a lot cooler than it is right now um do you think they play eastern kentucky on the 12th of september yes i think let's recap go ahead ahead. (laughs) sorry i i i'm not gonna lie i'm feeling a little bit vindicated here because for like weeks months we've been saying or, or i've been saying at least that the the ADs or the presidents or whoever are the NCAA are trying to say that we're making these decisions because we care about player safety. And I, I've been pushing back on that as that's a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. And finally, the Ohio Valley Conference just comes right on out and admits it. Like canceling the conference games, aka the games that don't make them any money but telling all their teams that they can still play all of their non-conference games, which are all of these pay-for-play games, this fall, just blatantly admitting that we don't care about player safety, but and we need that money. You can play, you can play the fall and the spring and next fall, as long as you keep getting those paychecks from the big schools. <laughs> just, just make sure we keep those games so we can get that money. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Like just not even trying to hide it. Let's, let's recap all this. Cause there's a lot to unpack. Eastern Kentucky's COVID slash first year coach experience has made Mike Norvell blush. They've had players air out the coach, the medical staff, the athletic director, 
quit the team. No show, entire groups, no show practices. They've had anything from a backup kicker to an all conference player to a starter quit. Um, receivers just no show practice one day. They're concerned about stuff. The AD is dropping press releases at twelve fifteen in the morning, trying to explain things. They pretty much said, "We're right. Everybody else is wrong," and that's that. Eastern Kentucky plays in the Ohio Valley Conference. That's an FCS league. They are expected to follow the rest of the FCS soon. They had an opportunity to Thursday night. They did not, but they're expected to follow soon and pull the plug on fall sports, which would mean no football. Um, The caveat there is that the Southern Conference, I think, gave the presidents in the OVC pause, which is maybe why the Ohio Valley presidents did not act last night. The Southern Conference said, no fall sports. However, football, you could play some non-conference games for the reasons you just mentioned, Chris, they need the income. That maybe makes the people in the OVC boardroom say, wait a minute, can we, should we, will we do that? Maybe that's why we don't have a decision yet. But let's just suppose Eastern Kentucky says, no fall sports, we're going to play our non-conference football games. There's a couple teams. I think Tennessee Tech is playing TCU. West Virginia has Eastern Kentucky. So it's not just one game, one team. I think there's maybe two more OVC teams that have Power 5 or Group of 5 games. So Hey, fund yourself as much as you can. Maybe you can get one or two more other teams, or everybody can get one or two more games. Who knows? There's ways to do this. Um, I have no idea if I'm an Eastern Kentucky player, if I'd want to play two games. And again, I don't think these people know what the eligibility is. Do they lose their season for two or three games? Probably not. Um, so I don't get to worry about that. But like, if you're an EKU receiver, safety, you're a junior or a senior, a freshman, I don't know. Are you are you wanting to do this? So what type of a shell of a team is EKU going to bring? And maybe you don't have answers for that right now. And maybe it turns out fine. They have their best rights on the field in Morgantown on the 12th. But maybe is a pretty dangerous word right now. Um, this is a tune-up for West Virginia two weeks before they play Oklahoma State. It ends a, I don't know, 10-month break without any type of competitive football, apart from two practices and whatever they do here in camp. Um, I would try to get somebody better. I, I, I don't want anything to do with Eastern Kentucky right now. Like they're, they're testing concerns me. They're going to adhere to West Virginia's protocol. West Virginia will cover the cost of testing. EKU is going to have that cost taken out of their guarantee. You're still paying them 400 something grand. Um, they might not have a very good team. It seems like a pretty miserable existence over there right now in general, just from the outside in. Uh, again, who knows the quality and the quantity of the players that comes here. I would, I'd be out of this as fast as I could. I think it it comes down to two questions. Um, one is the testing that West Virginia is going to pay for or provide or take out of the guarantee, whatever. How long will they provide that? Like, are they providing it now up until game time? Or are they only providing it like the week before? And is it is that enough to actually feel safe and feel confident in this decision? And two, my, I understand. You, yeah, my understanding is that EK is going to. No, I, I'll fill that in because I forget. My understanding is that EK is going to have to do their thing, but when they get out into like game week, they're going to have to do the three times a week, which is going to be what they said that the Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. <laughs> is that <laughs> yeah, enough? That like the week of? Like, come on. Well, well, that's what I'm worried about, too, is that like if, the, if EKU is doing its testing and then all of a sudden they show up on Sunday, what if they're in bad shape on Sunday? Are you, are you, Balaam and trying to like, listen, we're not going to have all of our quarterbacks. We're going to be down half our offensive line of all of our kickers are hurt. Uh Oh, 
like I, I just don't want to deal with that. And it's a what if I don't want to deal with like this is it's way too important. Even though it's a meaningless game, it's way too important. And just because I, you're going to give them your test in the week of the game, it doesn't do anything between now and then. So again, they they have some holes it would seem in their testing, and I, that would worry me a little bit. Not because I'm worried about my players getting sick. Like your testing at West Virginia is going to catch everything, and if EK is in a bad situation, they're not getting on your field. So your testing would work. But it's the time between then and now that would worry me that maybe they don't have a competitive team or maybe they don't have enough to field a game. That's just I think they've lost the benefit of it out there if that system is in place. Now, if they're doing the West Virginia system from now until, um, well, one, it's a burden on West Virginia. I'm also not sure what West Virginia's doing. They're not testing three times a week right now. So um, those are questions I like to have answered and I haven't been able to ask any people yet. So go on. I'm sorry. Uh, my next question is. What's your backup plan? Do they have one? They have some. They have some. Like, this is not like you and me creating the basketball bubble theory, right? Inventing Mm -hmm. it that no one else has ever thought of to save college basketball. Um, I think they've had some conversations like this. And by the way, there's a very appealing Sunbelt opponent that does not have a game scheduled for September 12th. Mm. Do you know who? I do, but I don't want to steal your thunder. Go ahead. No, it's they're out there. Like they don't have a game, so that's possible. Uh, there's a couple you can look at September 12th in the Sun Belt and Conference USA in the American, and you can find some openings and and do that. You could find some other FCS te- FCS teams. Like again, the Southern Conference is going to play. It looks like their non-conference games. Um, Ohio Valley is going to play their non-conference games. We think so. There, there's possibilities. I think they have some. It's got to be a bus ride. It can't be a flight. Um, you know, stuff like that is going to have to be a necessity. I think I'm, I'm confident they haven't. They haven't missed that one. I think that that's something that they've been planning on just in case. And, uh, you know, they've intervened to the point where they've said, listen, if you're going to come and play here, you got to do our testing. That means that they're on top of the situation and communicating as best as they can. If not Eastern Kentucky, who? I don't know. But they'd really have to make up their minds sooner or later on that. Yeah. And for the record, we were talking about Troy, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not Coastal Carolina. All right. Just making sure. Yeah, I mean that that would be interesting, but then again, I think that's that's probably too far for them to come. Um, I'm not sure that West Virginia wants to likely buy out Eastern Kentucky. I don't think he could force majeure them on this, so you probably got to buy them out. That's bigger than four hundred thousand. I'm sure you can negotiate it, and then you got to pay another team to come in, probably paying some travel expenses. If not, is Troy going to want to travel here? Maybe. That's what I think is interesting about them is that if you got some team from far away to fill a spot in your schedule, they're not going to want to come here because the expense to bus or fly and do hotels and meals, maybe West Virginia covers some of that stuff. It might not be all of it, but if it's a sentimental team, that might be like, hey, this would be cool. Let's do it. It makes it easier. I don't know who else out there would be able to qualify that condition than Troy. We're, we're spitballing here, but I think that's an A that probably would be on the list just because of that. It's a unique opportunity for everybody there. I'd be down for it. I mean, I yeah. think it's – I think – let's be honest here. Um, it, this should always be the answer, but we need to put the player safety part of this first and foremost. And if mm-hmm. these other teams are not going to take the testing seriously or can't take it as seriously as West Virginia does, you need to get out of it. You are not going to sacrifice uh, – I mean, again, you're not going to sacrifice player safety, one, two – the football program and the athletics department, the school, are you really going to sacrifice multiple Big 12 games or the rest of your Big 12 season just to play Eastern Kentucky? No, right. no, you're not. You're not going to do that. So uh, I think 
they really need to be on the ball with Eastern Kentucky with their testing, or West Virginia needs to get out fast. Um, but I, 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 my, the reason I said when you originally asked me, do you think this game is going to be played? I think it will, at least currently, just because I feel like it's a lot of hassle to try to get out of it, and West Virginia is going to try to boost them with the testing, help out with the testing. Is it is it easier, cheaper to provide an extra couple weeks of testing on the house from West Virginia, funds to to properly test the way they need to be tested over the next three weeks, or to buy them out and then try to find a new game and pay somebody else? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it can work. I, I, we'll see, but that that's just something that's crossed my mind. Yeah, I'm saying I don't want the headache of playing Eastern Kentucky. I think the bigger headache would be not playing Eastern Kentucky and then trying to find somebody unless they have something neatly arranged. Don't know. Remember, you can play on the 19th as well, so that, that kind of opens up your options a little bit too. I forgot about that um, because I've heard about one team on the 19th. That's a possibility. Um, not on my list of teams here on the 12th, but there's some good ones. So you can make it work. Um, one thing I do want to touch on, we've been talking about this forever, and it finally happened, but like they've said the quiet part out loud, finally, about – well, we're not going to play fall championships, but we're going to let football go along if they want to do it, right? Which just means that right now these three Power Five conferences, um, Sun Belt, Conference USA. Am I missing anybody? Is that everybody? Uh, I don't have a list, Mike. That's that's what There's, you're supposed to be in charge of. All I think five are out. I think five are out and five are in. I can't remember who the fifth one is. Somebody will send it to me or whatever. Oh, the American. My bad. Um, so, anyways, the. Uh, the quiet part out loud finally is like what you're saying. Like we, we're not going to make it reasonable or permissible even for our fall sports championships to play. They may have seasons. They're not going to have championships. I wonder how many of these schools are going to say, what are we doing? We're not going to play. Um, it seems like they'll have the option. You can play, but you can't do a championship. The NCAA is saying no fall sports. And you've got a couple of conferences saying, well, be that as it may, we're playing football. And I wonder before, like what presidents and ADs, put that double standard in place what they say it's not right financially socially um, just logistically with the health and safety to play fall sports so please sit this one out soccer you know cross country volleyball and quietly watch football play that was gonna be a really hard thing i thought and maybe it was that ship sailed they're gonna do that if they can <laughs> yeah i I'm torn. I think I don't think they have many other options at this point, and nope. this is what they got to do. I, again, this is all. I feel like this is all something we saw coming months ago when we were talking about how this is just going to trend this direction. This has got other stuff's got to stop, and they're going to try to move forward with the sports that make the money, the games that make the money, and that'll be it. But um, there's going to be, I think, big picture. This is after this season. Would you say this is the end? I mean, I feel like we always say this, or not you and I personally, but a lot of people always say this, the end of the NCAA as we know it, like at least as far as college football goes. I mean, is... I, I, hmm? I've been thinking about it, and I want to say yes, but I just, man, I just wonder how athletic departments are going to operate kind of split. Like, think about West Virginia and the differences that exist between men's basketball and football. Um have have not a little bit i think there's there's some of that perception um preference is going to be a thing in some athletic departments like duke basketball and duke football 
that's going to be a thing that you got to worry about. So like, I wonder how, I wonder how you operate almost two in one house and do it. It's, it's a tough thing because college basketball is, is, is more important in some places than football. I think it's not prevalent. It's rare in fact, but like there's going to be schools like that. Um, sometimes it's even sometimes maybe they're more, they're known more for basketball than football, but football's bigger, but like, that's not going to be an easy thing to reconcile. I just wonder how they do it. You got grant or rights that are involved. I think if you do something like that, you break away because basketball and football contracts are combined for television. Um, it's it's very tricky. I don't know how you do it. I'd like to say yes, but realistically, you're just pulling the football programs out. You're not pulling the other sports out. The other sports have NCAA championships. Now, do you want to get weird? And do you want to pull your men's basketball and your football out of the NCAA and create something different? Now we're talking because that could stand on its own and that would really weaken the NCAA. However, to the point that can it sustain sponsorships and championships for other sports, I would argue no, because it's moneymaker is men's basketball. So if you pull men's basketball out so you can have men's basketball and football stand on their own in your own power five slash group of five run body that's separate from the NCAA. Hey, cool. You can do that and you can sustain you really turn your back. Actually, you don't turn your back. You stare at and give the finger to your other sports because you're robbing them of their funding. So it, I'm, I, it can work somehow. I don't know how, unless what you're talking about is just everything breaks away from the NCAA and all the Olympic sports are separate from that. Now we're getting really, really weird to make that one work. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing. I'd like to say yes, but I don't see how it happens. Like, what do you, what do you envision? How do you envision this looking? I think the foot, the football as definitively got to break away the power five i think they're done this is it uh, the the complete lack of leadership the fact that i mean the ncaa has kind of set it up so that they really have no choice i mean if the ncaa can't make a decision can't even make a single decision during any of this to help these teams out then the the schools and the universities need to say hey if you're gonna make us make all the decisions what do we need you for we're out. And I mean, obviously the power five is, is pretty much broken away, but I think it'll be a full on uh, break apart and, and their own thing, but it's hard to do that with everything else. Um, as you mentioned. So I, I think that's the next move and there'll be some drastic changes, some other changes, smaller changes, not drastic, pardon me, uh, for the other sports as well. Do you pull just a group of five out? Or are you going full division one group of five power five? Oof. Because you're losing opponents then. I'm not sure, like, if the Power 5 broke free, I'm not sure why, if I'm a group of five team, I'm not sure why I'd schedule a Power 5 at that point. Hey, you're on your own. You want to be on your own? Do it. Like, we're screwed anyway, so (laughs) you you did this and you figure it out. I'm not sure I'd join them or I'd want to. I definitely wouldn't schedule them if I wasn't invited. That's true. Yeah, I guess guess it's got to be all of FBS. The whole FBS has got to be out. And the teams will just stop scheduling fcs opponents i mean the problem there is that. you're still gonna have that you're still gonna have that split where like if you want to be up on our level you have to spend this or you can't let us not spend this because you can't get on the level which is why we have a group of five and power five now uh, this is it's a good conversation i think it's inevitable i don't know when that point arrives but like i would say this where you and i and many others are critical of let's see a plan for everything that we've watched these past five months i've never really seen a great plan for a split from the NCAA. I'd like to see a plan for that. It may happen. Um, 
maybe Scott Frost has a eight page memo on that that he can put on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I'd like who to else see was it? Uh, Jeff Jeff Rome, right? Over I like his a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, I got a question for you on the topic that led us down this rabbit hole. When does West Virginia have to make a decision on Eastern Kentucky? How long can they push this off? Or does it matter from WVU's side of things? Ooh, I don't think there's a, a hard deadline where, like, if it passes and you're, you're penciled and you're stuck with Eastern Kentucky because then if things go bad, you still get rid of them. So I, I would say, obviously, sooner than later. Realistically, see, I don't even – I was going to say, like, two weeks – because that's when you're really working on your team. But, like, do you need two weeks to get ready for Eastern Kentucky? Probably not. The trouble is, do you need two weeks to get ready for Troy? You do. So maybe something like that. Like, maybe we're talking, like, August 28th. You know what I mean? Okay. So yeah, I, I was, So you're saying the only way it matters is from a preparation, game plan preparation standpoint. But as far as the actual game and setting up the opponent – there really is no timeline, like like from the program perspective. Yeah, because again, yeah, the logistic thing around it is not going to change. Like you're still going to have X percent of fans, and you're still going to sell every ticket because the the hunger and excitement for football is going to be such that you're not going to have a worry about that. You're going to staff the exact same because you're not going to go from twenty five percent to thirty five percent because you're playing uh, hypothetically again Troy instead of Eastern Kentucky. I also don't think you can get a worse opponent than Eastern Kentucky. I don't mean that as disrespect, but like, is there a team out there that's going to be like? I don't want to go watch this. No, you're going to want, they'd watch you, me and nine of our friends play against West Virginia <laughs> right now, Chris, just because like, that's where, that's where the bar is at right now. People just want to play and get back in the field. So I don't think that matters. Um, Mike, I you sound like Deion Sanders, by the way. Sorry. You sound like <laughs> Deion Sanders. Did you see his tweet the other day? <laughs> I did catch that. Yes. Yes. Tell, tell so, all the players that don't overestimate your worth because you just get replaced. So uh, you're starting to sound like, uh, you're starting to sound like Dion right now. Well, the point remains, like, maybe my worth is vastly um, <laughs> misrepresented, but, like, people would still want to watch that, I think, just because, like, that's where we're at. We want to get on the field and get going again. I don't know that that matters, but, like, I think if you're Neil Brown, uh, I'm not sure how much time you spent with your your analysts and how much time you're going to spend in camp getting ready for Eastern Kentucky's offense, you know, studying their new coach and all that stuff. But, like, there comes a point where you do have to roll up your sleeves to get ready for the team you're going to play. Um, and if you're upgrading your opponent, you don't want that happening late in the game. So that's maybe a good point about the testing thing is that like, Hey, you've got to be at X mark on August 21st. And then on the 28th, you enter our testing. That's, that's reasonable. I think you can do that. But then again, I might even make it before that. Like, Hey, on August 21st, you enter our testing because we want you to be two weeks out, healthy, ready to roll um, on August 28th. That might be something there. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good, a good idea as far as how they might govern or regulate that the runway to the season there. Um, again, it's a good thing I don't have these jobs. What do you always say? I'll take the paycheck, not the decision making. Yeah, as always, it proves true too. Uh, anything else here, Chris? Uh, we we have fixed college basketball. It looks like they're going to take our advice and follow the plan. I may or may not um, see something coming on that soon from other leagues. I just I don't want to give it away, but I think that another league is looking into this. I've been told. Probably not going to be a surprise, but like that's that's a, a theory I think is out there right now because that's the way to make it work. Um, if you're not aware, the Pac-12 has pretty much admitted that they're looking at different models to play, and a lot of that includes having four-team, 
three game sites, which will sound familiar, but something like that will come out maybe soon if they settle on that being the plan. They're done until January 1st. There are no non-conference games, uh, no college basketball for them until the first of the year. And I was saying, hey, how do we do this and make it work? And they're kind of looking at different models. But one, according to the coaches, I believe, was let's get four teams on one site and play three games in round robin. And then that's how we're going to play our conference schedule, keep your team weekends off, maybe have 10 game break, 10 day breaks in between, whatever, so you can do some testing, um, get some rehabilitation, some recovery in there. It seems like you've got to have a bubble over college basketball if it's going to work because so many teams, so many players, so much travel involved. Um, you can mitigate that by just condensing your schedule. So um, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, so I, I threw this idea out to my wife. I was talking to her about it. I said, it's such a great idea. And Mike and I discussed this on the podcast a while back. And you put four teams in one location and have them play round robin over the course of a few days. And so it's, you know, you know, it's just like four teams in one place. And you know who doesn't like that idea? Is my wife. She her her immediately her immediate response was, "Well, that sounds like a super spreader event." So your idea has been poo pooed on uh, no. by at least one person out here. So that's not great, but I love it, and I think it's I think it would be beneficial for a team like West Virginia that for one, this is going to cut down on their travel significantly. You know, this is a type of thing, obviously not to this degree, but this is the type of thing that West Virginia and Bob Huggins have been pushing for the whole go to Oklahoma and play the Cowboy or the Sooners on Saturday night and Cowboys on Monday night or, or something like that so that they don't have to go back and forth, back and forth. If you can do it and get three games in even better and that West Virginia is deeper, you know, they got, they, they are not doing the full, you know, 10, 12 man teams pressing all the time, but they feel confident in their 10, 11, 12 man roster more than I think a lot of other programs would be. So I think if they switch to that this year, that could prove extremely beneficial for West Virginia on the basketball court. Just wonder about the quality of play in that third game. Like if you do Thursday, Saturday, Monday, um, boy, that Monday game could be bad. Like teams could, you might see some bizarre games there, which makes me think that you might see some strange scheduling too, where your top teams in that four-team pod, they end up playing on Monday just because that'll even even things out a little bit. So like if you had, for example, like who's going to stink in the Big 12 this year? TCU, Kansas State, and then say Kansas and West Virginia. Maybe you have the Kansas-West Virginia game first, maybe you have it fourth. I don't think you're going to have a second or third just because of the, it, it's just different at that point. You know, it's 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 maybe affected by the elements adversely. Maybe one team's a little bit higher, but like if you play it first, that's a good idea. If you play it fourth, that might be a better idea because that way you don't have a really worn out and tired Kansas playing a really worn out and tired TCU and something strange happening because they're victimized by their schedule. So I wonder how you have to. There's some dynamics involved there, and then you know, can you get can you can you is it is it right to hold students up six times a year for five days in a hotel? Like in a bubble system right there. That's going to be something that's hard for people to accept. It may be the necessary evil. Doesn't mean it's not evil, though. Can I go completely off track here with some, I don't want to say breaking news, but just a little update Uh-oh. to what we were discussing earlier okay. on the transfer situation. A little bit of clarity. Um, Jaquay Hubbard, the offensive lineman from UVA, is now practicing with the team. Uh, he is a day or two behind, so he's not in full pad, or I guess not. I don't know if the team's in full pads. Is that day four? 
when they moved to full pads? Fifth day, fifth day which by the way, yesterday fifth they did day. not practice, so their fifth day will be Saturday now. Okay, so he he still doesn't even have his shoulder pads on. Um, and Zach Dobson, the slot receiver that you mentioned at the top of this podcast, mm-hmm. he is on campus and he is with the team. Uh, I believe he has already gone through quarantine. Unsure if he is... Um, you know, two days behind, three days behind or whatever, or right on back. But he is with the team. He is at practice. Interesting. So here's another another one of our investigations here. Three players were outside in who were in the five-day quarantine. We imagine it was Hubbard, James Thomas, and Edward Vesterinen. Probably not, huh? Probably not. I have not got confirmation. Maybe you have of... Vesterinen being in Morgantown yet um, doesn't mean he's not, but I that's the only one I have not heard. I, I've heard Thomas is there. Um, who was the other one you just mentioned? But let's let's talk about Thomas for a second. That's kind of okay. a sneaky big addition. Yeah, because he was a, a talent that a lot of people wanted, but nobody seemed to think that he would get eligible. Um, I mean, I think he had early offers from. From Georgia, from Florida, uh, Michigan, South Carolina, all those programs wanted him. But I think the, the consensus was that he would not get eligible in time to enroll. So nobody, and it, with the new rules where if you sign someone, they count no matter what towards that uh, initial 25 counters or the 25 scholarships, however you want to look at it. Even if they don't make it, they still count. But he's made it. He's, he's on campus. He's here. And he didn't even count towards 2020. He's counting towards 2021. So that's a good way to add some players right there. I asked somebody about Vesterinen, and the person asked me, who is Vesterinen? Should I be worried? Or is that <laughs> someone who maybe doesn't know that the intricacies of, of – uh... I'm trying to think of who the player was a couple years ago. There was a player who was going to come to transfer, and I asked somebody, and they said, who is so-and-so? It might have been a coach, actually. Like, hey, have you heard? Hey, can I? What do you, What do we know about X and X coach? I'm trying to remember who it was. Oh man, so many coaches in the carousel during Holberson's time that I'm having a hard time keeping track here. But it was one of those things where I was like, hey, what do you know about so and so in the news here? And the answer was, who is this? Like, who is so and so? And I was like, what does that mean? And they just kind of gave me the wink emoji, like, okay. And that was my my news to move on. And okay, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> Who was Vesterinen was not a heartwarming response yesterday. Yeah, we're we're great. pretty sure he's part of the program, right? Uh, I mean, as best as you can be. Obviously, no confirmation, official confirmation from the school. Uh, but we've seen, um, you know, the coaches like and favorite his tweets and retweet him. And but and when I spoke with Brandon Collier, you know, this is also not one of those situations where you want to get cute with him. Uh, you know, and by that, I mean, you don't want to lead a kid on to think that he's going to be part of the class and then push him out. You don't want to do that ever, but you certainly don't want to do that with a group like PPI recruits. That's Brandon Collier, the guys that um, uh, Jairo Favaris came from, uh, that Victor Wickstrom is part of, that West Virginia continues to recruit and will be watching film on guys and could add even more. You really don't want to kind of tick those guys off and end up on their bad side by playing games with a guy. So I don't think West Virginia is doing that. But then again, remember his situation was very unique in that he was supposed to be going, be in the military and wasn't going to be eligible till 2021. Then got a reprieve. Um, I'm, 
don't know the military term, but his, his term got cut short. So then he was trying to enroll very late. But then you have the issues of coming from Finland to America during a pandemic at the last minute, maybe not being on scholarship like day one, you know, doing the whole blue shirt. So you count towards 2021 thing. There's a lot of th- hurdles you got to get over to to get there. So who knows what might have happened in the last couple of weeks. But at last check, he was still planning on being there. Have not figured out if Finland has a GI Bill either to see if he can actually come as a walk-on and have the Finns pay for his education. I dropped the ball there. I'll get on back on top of that. But again, this is one of those things where it'd be really nice to have my feet in the ground and look around and like, oh, that's the big Swede. Wait a minute, no, he's not Swedish. He's finished. Ooh. I just said that, right? There's the big uh-huh. Finn, right? He's on campus. He's good to go. Um, like all this stuff you can do with your eyeballs. Like, oh, there's James Thomas. Oh, there's Jaquay Hubbard. Oh, there's, uh, who's this guy? I've never seen him before. This like little, you know, mighty might playing slot. And you find out that he's actually Zach Dobson. That's all cool stuff. So again, you can do it on Zoom, but it doesn't have to answer your question. Um, so maybe we'll, we should be talking around tomorrow, maybe. So we probably have a couple of things we can ask him about. Who's here? Who's not? What's up with this guy? And if he responds to me, who is Ed Vesterinen? Then we probably have an indication there. Yeah, that is true. Cross our fingers. All right, Chris. Uh, I think we've covered everything until we have a whole bunch of new stories to figure out, um, which probably, knowing us, won't be very long from now, right? Yeah, I think we got some things coming. Uh, well, let me see. Let me pull this up because, hey, you know who's going on vacation next week? Me. Yeah. Not you. Me. Uh, I'll have some updates. I got some recruiting things going. Uh, caught up with a couple new offers. Uh, new VIP buzz went up this morning with a new quarterback offer. A four-star recruit that that really likes West Virginia that I don't think we've talked about a whole lot. Um, kind of got a, a tip on him the other day. And... We're going to start our countdown next week. That is how close we are to real live actual football. Mm. Uh, I believe Tuesday, I, I start my top 25 countdown. I think that's that's 25 days out if I've done my math correctly. And we'll be going with previews of other teams, some uh, very important stats for the upcoming year, some projections and more. So uh, it's going to be a lot of stuff still coming. Also breaking news. I want to make sure it's just right before I actually put it out there. You want to fill for a second? Yeah, sure. I also am going to add something else, I think, either this afternoon or Saturday that I found pretty interesting. Uh, for those who don't, uh, for those who read the site, you might have seen my piece on how official offer letters have transitioned over the years. And I went as far back as 2012. That was the first uh, picture I could find. And it made leaps and bounds from 2012 to 2021 official offers. And in my inbox the other day was a message from a Mr. Oh. Brian King. Hey. Former <laughs> defensive back, long time. This is this might be Mike's time at West Virginia. Um, with his official offer letter. And it looks awesome. Like like it is it is dated november 1998 and it looks better than some of the stuff that i had listed in 2012 13 and 14 and i'm really excited to share that and and show it and uh who knows might catch up with brian sometime soon to discuss that and some other things too breaking news coaching news here at west virginia 
if you follow this uh, episode, they had a graduate assistant who was called up in the Kerry Martin situation. His name is Dylan August. Um, he was screenshotted in Kerry Martin's initial tweet, kind of getting into some back and forth about Vic, Koenig, Vic Koenig's um, uh, choice of words, choice of attitude, let's say. I don't know, but you've, you've seen that. You've read it. Um, he was suddenly moved on the staff from like a on-field GA working with the defense and the safeties to some like omnipotent role <laughs> about like, I'm going to work with the defensive line, even though I have worked with safeties and I'm also going to do some analyst work, even though I've never done it. Um, and then suddenly he was gone. He's now at the university of Houston as a graduate assistant. Aha. Some familiar faces, familiar, familiar faces. That's, that's who we got to start with. Right. Was Dana. Yeah. They liked him a lot. Um, put him in the back end of the defense, had him working on some stuff, and um, would love to know what happened with that story. But just a reminder, I've never talked to him before. I've never met him. Uh, we are not allowed to talk to graduate assistants unless it's, like, something really strange. Like, I talked to Tyler Orlowski for a story about working out of trailers, and that took some time to arrange. I think I had to run it through some proper channels to make sure I could talk about it. I never talked to him. I never met him. He was not my source on anything that I wrote about the coaching staff or anything that I wrote about him. Um, that was out there for some reason. It's nonsense. It's a lie. So uh, I would not put stock in that. But hey, um, glad to see that somebody who was caught up in something, to what extent, we don't know. Maybe we'll know on September 15th. Probably not for various <laughs> reasons. But good to know that a bright young coach who was good enough to not only get in with Holgers and staff, but to be kept and to stay long and to be put in a really important position, perhaps twice by Brown staff, um, for whatever reason, things get turned upside down and he ends up on his feet, which is not a bad thing. For him. Yeah. I think when he announced that he was leaving West Virginia and looking forward to his next opportunity, wasn't sure where he'd end up, but I put on the board that he'll find a job quick. Uh, coaches like him. He is well-liked. Uh, he is energetic uh, at recruiting camps. Again, I've yeah. never spoken with him either, but I, he is, he is hard to miss when you go cover those recruiting camps. He is, very intimately involved. He's got a lot of energy. Um, he is out there doing, uh, taking reps with the players and helping coach. So I think he was he was well liked and has a lot of energy. And that's the kind of stuff you need to be in this business, uh, especially early on. So I think uh, it, it seemed obvious to me that he would find a job quick. Um, but did not know it was going to be Houston. But it makes sense, of course, since he got his start with with Dana and that staff when they were still at West Virginia. All right, let's wrap it up then, Chris. I think that is all for this time. Until next time, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you later.